Welcome to the Crossroads Church Podcast. You're about to hear a message that we hope will inspire, encourage, and challenge you to grow closer to God. So sit back, prepare your heart, and see where God can take you. February is Black History Month, and we thought this message series that we're in uh, called Over the Rainbow would be the perfect vehicle to use just to talk to you about racial harmony, about racial unity. And so that's what I want to talk to you about today. And, you know, just in case, for whatever reason, when I announced that just now, there was some kind of pushback, maybe even subconsciously. It was some kind of pushback that said, oh, Pastor Jeff, do you really want to do that? I mean, the last couple of years, man, around that topic, things have been pretty difficult and and things seem to maybe have settled down a little bit. Do you really want to stir the pot on that today? I just want to make this announcement. We are never going to preach based on what's popular or convenient or what's going to make people, you know, feel... um, warm and fuzzy. We're just going to, we're going to deal with what the Bible tells us we're supposed to deal with. Is that all right with everybody? And man, all through scripture, we see that God has laid out for us how we are to treat one another and how we are to come together in his name. So I want to share a little bit. And to set the stage for that, I thought I'd share a story with you that some of you are familiar with. I've shared it before, but a ton of you have never heard it before. And so I think it really just kind of illustrates how difficult all this can be. Years ago, I was called on to do a funeral for, uh, officiate a funeral for a black family here in our church. And so uh, I got there, Pastor David Bodwin was on staff with me at the time. David and I got there and uh, what we were unprepared for was we got there, we were the only white people there. And, you know, I grew up in America as a white male. I've never felt like a minority in my life, but that day I saw what it felt like. Because, and it, and it probably was just all in my head, but I felt like everybody in the room was, that didn't know me was looking at me like, what are you doing here? And, and even the, the director for the funeral uh, home uh, was so courteous and so professional, but as I interacted with him, I felt like what he was thinking was, out of all the great black preachers in this city, all they could come up with is you. That's kind of how I felt. I know probably wasn't what he was thinking, but that's how I felt in the moment. So we did the service and, and, and it really went well. Everything went well until we got to the gravesite service. We got out there and as people are gathering, I realized I didn't bring my Bible with me. And so I asked David to go back to the car to bring my Bible back to me. And so he got out there, for whatever reason, I was driving Donna's car that day. And as he's trying to get in the car, he sets the alarm off. Now, I want you to picture this. I'm already feeling the tension of the day. And and I'm standing there with the friends of this family in our church, you know, kind of feeling already just a little bit, you know, a little awkward. And all of a sudden, the horn starts going off. People are looking to see what's going on. Now, David's got a choice he's got to make because he knows I can't start that gravesite service without my Bible. He's got to figure out, am I going to stay here and try to figure out how to get this horn to go off? Or am I going to bring Jeff's Bible to him so he can get the service started? Well, he chose the latter. He grabbed my Bible. He ran it out to me, handed it off, and immediately ran back to the car 
very subtle, very subtle, Dave, and, and ran back to the car. And, and I'm trying to start the service, hoping people can hear me over this blaring car horn. As they're watching David run back to the car, he gets in the car. I'm trying to start the service. He figures out he's not going to get this stopped. And so he decides, I'll just drive out of the cemetery. And so me, that family, and all their friends, and my awkwardness, stood there at the gravesite as he drove out of the cemetery. Honk, 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 honk. And as I looked over at the funeral director, I could read his mind. He was like, who invited the honkies? Come on, I, I'm telling you. It was a, it was a tense moment. It, it was a tense moment. And I felt, you know, I felt in that moment, what? Many of our friends feel all the time when they're in a setting when they're in that minority. And the Bible has so much to say about how we're supposed to treat each other. Um, if you're familiar with the movie, The Wizard of Oz, you know about halfway through, uh, Dorothy sings a song called Somewhere Over the Rainbow. And the lyric of the song suggests that Dorothy believes somewhere over the rainbow is a better place. Somewhere over the rainbow, things are better. And I think all of us have had that hope in one regard or another at some point in our life where we look to a moment, we look to a place where things will be better. And the beautiful thing about God is that's exactly what God has promised us. And if you're familiar with the Old Testament story of Noah and the ark, you know that God brought judgment on our world and every man, every woman, every boy, every girl, every animal other than Noah, his family, and the animals he had brought on the ark perished in this worldwide flood. And after God flooded the earth, he made a covenant with mankind that he would never destroy the earth in that manner again. And as a sign or a symbol of that covenant that he had made with humanity, he gave us the rainbow, and, 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 and that rainbow, as we talked about last week, is a constant reminder for any time we see it, it's a constant reminder for us that God is a promise keeper, that he's a covenant God, and that he keeps his promises. But there's something else that I feel like that rainbow should represent to us, and you're going to see one. Uh, sooner or later, they come around pretty often down here in South Louisiana. We have quite a bit of rain. And so you'll see that multicolored arch prism there in the sky. And it will be a reminder that, yes, God's a promise keeper, but it's also going to be a reminder that God loves diversity. What we see in that rainbow is color. And we see within the colorful creation of God a reminder that God loves diversity. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about where we go from that moment that God gave us that great symbol, the rainbow. I, I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but if you take the Bible literally, and by the way, if you want to be a student of the Bible, you should take the Bible literally. When the Bible wasn't intended to, pay, to, to, take, to be taken literally, it's obvious. I'll give you an example uh, there's a place in the gospel where Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That is a literal statement. You can only get to God through Jesus. That's a literal statement. In the gospels, Jesus also said, I am the gate. And by using that metaphor, he was saying, I'm the way to God. 
But he said, I'm the gate. He wasn't speaking literally then. That's a metaphor. He's not a literal gate, but he is the only way to God. And so unless the scripture is obviously to be uh, not taken literally, then that's the approach we need to take towards scripture. We need to take it literally. And if you take the story of Noah literally, then you know that everyone on the planet today comes from his lineage. You know that everyone, no matter uh, if, if it's an Asian nation or an African nation or a European nation or a Latin nation, you know that all of us come from that moment right after the rainbow and that God would cover this earth with people that are every shade, man. And when we see that, we see God's wonderful creative work, and we see that he's a God that loves diversity, and so we should love diversity ourselves. Romans chapter 10 puts this in perspective. Um, Romans 10 verse 12 and 13 said, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now here's what God's saying there. God's saying, we have this in common. We all need a savior. And yet that is the only way we're the same. All of us are different except for the fact that we all need a savior. Every one of us need a savior, but then from that point forward, everything about us is different. We're all different. And we should see in those differences that God truly loves diversity. Revelation chapter seven, verse nine and 10 reads like this. Uh, John's given a revelation. He's given a vision of heaven in eternity. And I want you to see what he saw in that vision. Revelation seven, verse nine and 10, John said, after this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. We see that heaven is made up of people from every nationality, people of every color. Why? Because God loves us all and he loves diversity within his creation and heaven is gonna be full of color. And so we should celebrate diversity ourselves. In fact, that is one of our core values. One of our core values as a church is to celebrate diversity. And, and, and the question that we always pose in order to evaluate whether we do celebrate diversity or not is simply this. Does someone have to look like me to be loved by me? Does someone have to look like me to be loved by me? I hope that's not the case. Today, we would do well to understand Jesus wasn't a blonde-haired, blue-eyed guy. I know that in the Renaissance period, those European painters felt better about themselves by making Jesus look like themselves, but that's not what he looks like. If you've ever been around Middle Eastern people, that's what Jesus looked like. Dark hair, dark eyes, dark skin. And so we would do well to just get over ourselves, right? And get over the rainbow and understand and realize, hey, God has created the diverse color of our skin hue because he's a creative God. And we need to celebrate that. With all our heart, we need to celebrate that. 
So the next time you see a rainbow, and it won't be long, the next time you see a rainbow, let it remind you to celebrate diversity, to stop in that moment and acknowledge, hey, people don't have to look like me to be loved by me. I'm going to celebrate diversity by embracing people that look different than I do. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the first attribute within God's nature and character that we're introduced to in the Bible is actually his creativity. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created. So think about that. Before we know him as love, before we know him as a redeemer, before we know him as a savior, before we know him as anything else, we know him as a creator. So what we have to own today is that any form of racism or bigotry or prejudice within our hearts actually spits in the face of the introductory attribute of God's character. Why do I bring that out? Because if you spit in the face of diversity, you're gonna spit in the face of redemption, holiness, compassion, or any of God's redemptive qualities. And we don't need to spit in the face of any of it. But what racism does to us is horrible. It, it doesn't just divide us from one another, it divides us from our creator. Divides us from God, it'll put us in a place where we can't embrace any of the redemptive qualities of God. And we don't need to let that happen. I want you to listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I've got a relatively lengthy passage of scripture here, but you can read along on the screen. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'll start reading at verse 12. The body is a unit. Speaking of the body of Christ, and that's us. Somebody say, that's us. The body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. We were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, stop just a moment, get Mike Mikowski from Monsters, Inc. in your your brain. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. Just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has come bind the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now, This is such a commentary, a a divine commentary on God's expectations for us as it relates to race relations and and, uh, racial harmony. Uh, This is such a 
uh, such an insightful passage of scripture that I wanna just kind of unpack it a little bit with you, if that's okay. And what I wanna do with this is I want us to discover, I want us to, to see what we discover over the rainbow. If we can see that the rainbow as God's covenant promise demonstrates his love for diversity, I think we will discover some things that are really, really important. And I wanna show them to you right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The first one is this. Number one, we all have the same thirsts. Doesn't matter if you're black or white, Hispanic, Asian, doesn't matter, we all have the same thirst. We really all want the same things. We wanna be loved. Can I get a better amen? We, we wanna be loved, we wanna be respected, we wanna provide for our families, we wanna leave the world a better place than we found it. Do we all agree there? All of us want the same things. And the Bible said in verse three of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we were all given the one spirit to drink. So we all have the same thirst, and we've all been given the same spirit to drink. John 4, verse 13 and 15 are the words of Jesus. He said, everyone who drinks this natural water is going to be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. And the woman said to Jesus, sir, give me this water. When I look at that passage what I see in that passage is that all of us are looking for the well. Every one of us, all of our quests, all of our desires, uh, all of the energy that we put into trying to find that something that's gonna fill this void, it's found in Jesus. We have the same thirst and we have the same well and we need to drink freely together of that well today. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Over the rainbow, we discover that we all have the same thirst. Secondly, we see that we've all been wired by God with unique qualities, perspectives, and interests. Let me say that one more time. We've all been hardwired by God with unique qualities, unique perspectives, and unique interests. Verse 18 of 1 Corinthians 12 said, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just like he wanted them to be. Now, he's speaking of people in Christ. I'm not talking about interests and pursuits outside of God's will. Obviously, God condemns all of that. But I'm talking in Christ. Listen, we all have unique qualities. We all have unique perspectives and interests that are important, that Add so much to the collective good. And that's why we need to embrace one another's unique qualities, unique perspectives, and unique interests. We, we should be ourselves. We should be who God has called us to be, not who man wants us to be. We should attempt to line up with what God has created in us in the way of interests and perspective, in the way of, of those giftings. We should... We should Embrace all of that and refuse to let somebody paint us into a corner that they're comfortable with. Emerson said this, he said, imitation is suicide. And the day we try to fit everybody's bill and become like them so they can be comfortable with us is the day we put a noose around who God created us to be. Let's don't do that. Let's, let's be who God has called us to be 
and let's give everybody else the margin to be who God has called them to be as well. To deny people the right to be themselves is to deny them the right to please God. And someone said this, and this is powerful. Someone said, the world is a hand and all the people are its fingers. If you cut off a group of people, you sever that finger and you lose the greater grasp of the world. And many of us look like this today. We've cut everybody else off except ourselves. And we lose a real grasp on what this world was intended to provide us. We are better together. We are better together. So we can't cut one another off. That's the third thing I want to unpack with you from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We all need one another. I need you. I need you. And you need me. We all need one another. Verse 21 said, the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. In other words, one part of the body can't say to another part of the body of Christ, I don't need you. Yes, we all need one another. In 2 Timothy, we see Paul's admission of this. Paul's writing to Timothy in his second letter, chapter 4, verse 9 through 13, and he tells Timothy, do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Another dude <laughs> has gone to Galatia and Titus to D Dalmatia. And only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. And when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. What's Paul doing here? He's admitting to Timothy, I need some folks. There are people, Paul says, in my life that I need at this stage of my life. There's a powerful poem that I've shared here before, but it, it just bears repeating. It's called The Cold Within. Listen to this. Six humans trapped by her, uh, happenstance in bleak and bitter cold. Each one possessed, possessed a stick of wood, or so the story goes. Their dying fire in need of logs, the first man held his back. For of all the faces around the fire, he noticed one was black. The next man, looking across the way, saw one not of his church and couldn't bring himself to give the fire his stick of birch. The third one sat in tattered clothes. He gave his coat a hitch. Why should his log be put to use to warm the idle rich? The rich man just sat and thought of the wealth he had to store and how to keep what he had earned from the lazy, shiftless poor. The black man's face bespoke revenge as the fire passed from sight. For all he saw in his stick of wood was a chance to spite the white. The last man of this forlorn group did not except for gain. Giving only to those who gave was how he played the game. Their logs held tight in death's still hand was proof of human sin. They didn't die from the cold without. They died from the cold within. Can I tell you, America's dying from the cold within. We need one another. We need one another. The fourth thing that I see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that speaks to us of racial harmony and unity is number four, we should make room for those we don't think we need. 
We should make room. We should make margin for those we don't think we need. Verse 23 says, the parts we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. Can I just say, we've got to get intentional about this one. We've got to own the fact that whether we were even conscious of it or not, there are aspects of our character that are keeping some people at an arm's length just because of skin color or social status or whatever, and it's wrong. We need to get intentional about making margin for those folks that we don't think we need, but we actually do. In fact, let me just say that the very one you reject today may be the very one you depend on tomorrow. In fact, listen, that passage that I read from 2 Timothy, where Paul said, hey, bring this one with you, and, and hey, I need this one doing this, and that one doing that. Listen, the, the person he asked Timothy to bring with him was the young man, John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark, by the way, there in the New Testament. And if you know Paul's story, you know early in his ministry, he had a close traveling associate named Barnabas, and they actually went their separate ways because Paul didn't think they needed Mark. But here he is at the end of his life, and I want you to notice he points out to Timothy, I need my cloak and I need the scrolls, which was probably what we know as the New Testament today. He said, I need my coat and I need my scrolls. Why? Because all of a sudden he found himself in a place where he needed warmth and he needed a word and only John Mark could bring it to him. And the very person you cut off today may be the one that God uses in some distant setting when you're cold and you need a word from God and God will use them to bring it into your life if you don't cut them off. So if you don't cut them off, they may be the very one that God will bring that word and bring that warmth to you through. Matthew chapter 25, verse 40, Jesus says that the king will reply, I tell you the truth, Whatever you did for one of the least of these, my brothers, you did for me. Jesus said, whatever you do for the least of these, my brothers, you do for me. Who are those people that Jesus refers to as the least of these? Perhaps they're the one with the least opportunity today. What you do for them, you've done for him. Maybe they're the one with the least representation today. They are the minority what you do for them, you've done for him. Hey, can I just throw out, do you remember history class? Do you remember this whole American experiment started over taxation without representation? Our founding fathers didn't think it fair to be taxed and not represented. And when Jesus said what we do for the least of these, we've done for him, maybe he's calling on us to do some things for the least represented, to do some things with the least opportunity, purposefully including them, purposefully preferring them, purposefully blessing them. When we do that, we will have touched the heart of God because he said, what you do for them, you've done for me. We'll have touched the heart of God in a great way to determine just how inclusive you really are is to go to that Instagram account today. Go to that Facebook account today. Go to your photo app on your smartphone and begin to look through all of those pictures and ask yourself, how much do I really celebrate diversity? And if you see that everybody on your Instagram account looks just like you, then can you start getting intentional 
about giving margin to people you obviously don't feel like you need in your life. I feel like I need to come down there and just amen myself. We've got to make margin and room for one another. There's another thing that I want us to see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We see we all have the same thirst. We see we've all been wired by God with unique qualities, perspectives, and interests. We see that we all need one another. We see that we actually should make room for those we don't think we need. And number five, I see this. I see we all belong together, not apart. We belong together. The body of Christ. We belong together, not apart. There's so much in this world right now trying to divide us. You recognize that, don't you? Do you see through the political smokescreen? Do you see what's really happening? Do you see that our world wants us divided, but we belong together? Verse 25, 1 Corinthians 12 said, there should be no division in the body. Hear the word of the Lord today. You want to you make a bumper sticker? You want a t-shirt to wear? Here it is. There should be no division in the body. Thus saith the Lord. There's your word. There should be no division in the body. In John 17, Jesus is praying for us all. In verse 11, he prays, I will remain in the world no longer, but they're still in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. That's what God wants to see in the way of racial harmony and unity today. He wants us to be one, even as he and the Father are one. What do I mean by that today? I, be I believe it grieves the heart of God to see the church has become the most segregated place in America. It grieves the heart of God. Back in the days of desegregation, and I lived through that as a boy. I was in first grade when Louisiana desegregated our schools. So I know a little something about what we're talking about here today. In those days, there were some cities where they literally had to call out the National Guard. Soldiers lined the steps leading into the schools where those little black boys and girls were allowed for the first time into those white segregated schools. News cameras were there taking in the whole story. And in those days, one of the news media interviewed a little black girl and a little white girl at the end of their first day of desegregation. And asked those two little girls, what was it like? And this was the two little girls' response. We were so scared. We held hands all day. I've always said it, and I believe it with all my heart. There's no racism in the nursery. There's no bigotry there. It's a learned practice. And if you learned it, you can unlearn it to the glory of God. We belong together. One last thing I want to show you in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and that is number six. We should administer care and concern for everyone equally. Let me say it again. We should administer care and concern for everyone equally. If you look at Acts chapter six, you'll see prejudice already existent in the, in the first century church. It was already there because they were favoring the Jewish widows and the Greek widows were doing without. And they saw it happening and said, this cannot be. So their response 
was to place spirit-led wise deacons. It's actually the birth of diaconal ministry. They put spirit-led wise deacons over that distribution of food so that everyone was cared for with equality. You know what we need in the body of Christ today? We need spirit-led wise leaders that are going to see to it that everybody's treated with equality. Everybody's cared for the same. Can I get a better amen today? And now, I want you to see what happens as they responded by putting that, that equal care for everybody in place. I want you to see what happens. Acts chapter six, verse seven said, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. I believe that if we would begin to embrace one another somewhere over the rainbow, we would begin to make margin for one another. I believe today the word of God could spread through Acadiana. The number of disciples in Lafayette could increase rapidly and even a large number of priests could become obedient to the faith. And priest, if by any chance you might happen upon this, I'm calling on you to join me in calling the body of Christ back into harmony, back into unity. Preach it in your pulpits. Open up your congregations to the diverse nature of God he has created within our humanity. I call on you to do it in the name of Jesus. I'll close with this, somewhere over the rainbow. Dorothy thought there was hope there. And God promised there would be. Somewhere over the rainbow, a diverse church, a church of unity, will convince the skeptic that we are who we say we are. Because Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. How in the world is a fallen world going to believe that we really love God when we don't even love one another? And today, we've got to get over the rainbow, man. We've got to get to that place where we come together, we embrace one another, we do life together as Jesus intended for us to do. Hey everyone, this is Pastor Jeff Abels, and I just wanted to take a minute to thank you for joining us on our podcast today. Maybe the Holy Spirit has been dealing with your heart as you've listened to this message and you feel like you just need to get right with God. If you have no real assurance that you are right with God, if you cannot honestly say you've been living for God and you know that needs to change, I wanna invite you to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior right now. You know, the Bible tells us that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That means God loves you and God's ready to save you. He's just waiting on you to call on Him. Why don't you call on Him right now by praying a very simple prayer with me. I want you to repeat the words of this prayer after me. Let those words come right from your heart. Let's pray. Dear God, I come to you right now in the name of Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner. I know my sin separates me from God and I don't want that I believe in Jesus I believe he died for me I believe he rose again through faith in Jesus I believe my life can change so I ask you Jesus come into my heart forgive all my sin 
and change my life. Be Lord of my life from this day forward. I don't live for me anymore or this world. God, I want to live for you. Help me to do that. And I thank you right now, even as I pray, according to your promise, my sin is all forgiven. I'm now right with God. I am saved. Thank you, God, for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you just prayed that prayer with me, we would really love to know about it. We'd love to give you some next steps to get you started on your brand new journey of faith. What I'd love for you to do is just text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 337-222-3210. And someone will connect with you to provide you with some resources that I think will help you greatly. Again, just text the word SAVED, S-A-V-E-D, to 337-222-3210. Thanks again for joining us on the podcast today, and God richly bless you is our prayer for you.